Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to the season six premiere of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono, and I am welcoming Welsh music royalty onto the show as Mike Peters of the acclaimed and legendary band The Alarm joins us to talk about his career and love of Manchester United. Welcome, Mike. Hi, Sal. Great to be here on the show. I'm so happy to have you on. It's great to have you and great to have the alarm back on American shores after a while touring this summer. Uh, You've been on a creative role the last two years, releasing two fantastic albums, War and the most recent Forwards. What's it like getting back in the swing of things to make new music? Well, it's, it was, you know, it's really good, especially after the pandemic and, and, and uh, you know, I was diagnosed with pneumonia and a leukemia relapse last year. So my life has been seriously challenged. And uh, But to come through it with new music uh, at the heart of it is has been special. It uh, makes me realise what I've been through, but makes me feel great to be alive. And uh, I feel like I've won my own personal cup final and, uh, you know, I've got the medal and the trophy to prove it. That's, uh, it's... It's amazing to hear how positive and resilient you are. I mean, the music has always had that flavor to it, but now that you've lived through it and pushed forward, and obviously, you know, that's the title of the latest record, but, you know, for those that are struggling right now with a diagnosis like you had had, leukemia, which is, you know, detrimental. I know so much has been made and in the medical science world on how to treat cancer and leukemia, yeah. but it's still for many a death sentence. Like what, what, how did you battle it? And what has it been like for you? And ha- have you officially been cleared? Have you overcome it all? No, no, I, I, I take chemotherapy every day. I have, I'm in hospital every two weeks for IV treatments to keep it at bay and manage it. And, uh, you know, I've lived with cancer since 1995. And it, and it, I think what, what's kept me alive was that, was uh, was just remembering where I was before I heard the word cancer, and you know often you you go in f- to for a checkup with also good for mundane things you might have a lump or you feel a little bit tired or something and then as soon as you hear the word cancer you, you kind of drop twenty five elevators down, yeah. and I always I think well let's start where I was at ground level before I heard the word cancer and it, but the first time I ever heard it it was on the eve of coming to America on a big tour. And I just sat the doctor down. Look, I can't do a bone marrow transplant right now. I've got a tour, <laughs> and uh, and that was always been my mindset. Really, I, I've never wanted the cancer to take anything away from my life. So um, to me, that means the cancer's winning. If I, you know, don't go for a run in the morning because uh, I think, oh, I'm tired or something. I think, well, that's the cancer's winning. That it's putting that thought in my mind. And often you you pick yourself up, you do feel tired, you, you don't want to do it, but you get out there and you do it and you think, I'm glad I did it because I, I feel great now and I've, I've overcome a little battle and a little challenge along the way. And um, so that that's how I've always maintained it. We created our own charity, Love, Hope, Strength, because that's what we're all about. You need those things in your arsenal to battle cancer. You've got to have love from your family. You've got to have hope for the future and you have to have strength from your friends and your carers around you. And that's how we... We face the the day with cancer when we're we're unlucky enough to have that as a diagnosis in our lives. You know, it's it's a brutal, brutal illness. But what you're doing is so special to so many people and so many families. Um, I, you know, I speak from personal experience. I lost my grandmother to breast cancer years ago, and you know, I've known so many that have been diagnosed with this horrible, horrible illness. And yeah. you know, I I look at you, and I'm speaking to you now, even just in a few short minutes, and that positivity and that hope that mindset that you have is so important it's so because i've seen you know the suffering and i've seen that the the terrible things that it does but you are you're a fighter man and i'm I'm so happy that you know you you look fucking great you look like this is is an audio podcast but like (laughs) the hair is fucking perfect like rock and roll chic (laughs) tan he's got the jumper on he's got you know it's it parking green that's it Look, you know, as well, look, cancer brings about miracles as well. We, f- we think of the, the horrible things it does, but it brings miracles into people's lives. People have been told they've got one week to live and they live for a month. And that's even just having another three weeks is a miracle to be alive. And some people, they say they've got a year and they live to 20 years or they, they, they survive. You know, there's, it's often the, 
the the heartache that we focus on, but there's a lot of positivity. You know, cancer isn't a death sentence anymore. It, you know, yeah, it might take your life eventually, but it, it's not immediate. If you if you get there early enough, there's act and you can get access to treatments, you can win. And and it's um, you know, not everyone's gets that fortunate outcome, but more and more people are increasingly every day getting better outcomes against cancer. And uh, that's what we want to talk about with Love, Hope, Strength. And that's what we want to focus on. Ah, beautiful. It's beautiful. And the world has changed so much in the last three years. And the state of music has changed and art has altered it, uh, with it rather. Um, what is it like for you to be back on stage and doing the thing that you love the most and after not being able to do it for so long because of the COVID pandemic and because of the treatments that you've had to take? Like, what's it like for yeah. you now to return and say hi, everybody? Oh, it's, it's, it's great. You know, I think that's what the pandemic made everyone realize how much we miss and how much we uh, music and the coming together that music uh, evokes in people's lives. That, how special that is it's like football isn't it we like going at the weekend we're hanging out with our friends and people we have things in common with and, and that it gives you gives you a good feeling for the rest of the week to get back to you know some of the mundane things we all have to put up with in 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 life's existence and uh and so uh, when when the pandemic hit we just started doing broadcasts from our living room you know we still do it we got one this sunday the big night in we, we're still out there doing it um, because we, we've enjoyed the community it's brought into our lives and the communication we have. We can share our music history with with people and dig out the old videos and give them an airing and play them again and play out some old songs, take some requests. And it just makes it real and alive. And, and I think that's what ultimately music is a celebration of the moment. You know, it's, it's like, we all, of course, we all have histories and we have to honour them. But when you go to a concert and you step out on the stage, it's all about the now. And that's what I love about it the most. Oh, beautiful. You know, the band sounds as fresh and as vibrant as you did back in the 1980s. Uh, when you were taking the world by storm and, you know, now playing the new songs and fitting them in with the classics. What's that like for you to come up with these amazing set lists and say, hey, I'm going to. Um, yeah, we're going to play the hits, but we're also <laughs> we're going to we're going to take a step into the future and show you like that we haven't gone anywhere no well I, I think that's the great thing about you know i think we've got some really strong songs on and we you know our last four albums have been yeah. received really well they've all charted they've all done you know all top 10 british rock albums and you know and they, they've set us on a new path and i think they've freshened up the old songs you know the the old songs have to step up to to <laughs> prove why they're there you know it's like we've got some young blood in the in the team now you know we, what are we gonna you know and i think it's great to hear you know, an evergreen like Spirit of 76 alongside forwards from the new album or something like that. You know, they just they um they inform each other and make them and they make the the old music sound like it's part of today. And you know, because I'm still the same singer I ever was, still still following lyrical ideas that began in 1981, that that and ideals that we we established. We still hold on to those values, and they're they're present in our new songs as they were in the original material that, that started the life of the band. And uh, you know, we try and make it all work. We yeah, we play long sets, <laughs> and, yeah, and, and, and we don't talk a lot on stage, so we get as much music in as we can. We take requests. Yeah, I think we were on the 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 last show we played. We did we played something like a uh, sixteen classic alarm songs in, in like forty minutes. You know, we just bang bang. It was like go and see Tommy by the Who, but just hearing all the alarm songs back back to back. It was it was amazing, and that allows us to play modern material alongside it as well. So everyone's uh, goes home happy. They've heard all the things they want to hear, and they've they've been turned on to new things that the alarm's all about in in the present day. Ah, oh, beautiful. You know, what's also incredible, and this is kind of insane to show that the world really does tend to repeat itself. When the alarm came out in the 80s, the, the US, British economies were in a bizarre state of flux. Uh, politics was weird. Uh, it, it created a it, it created for amazing art. And yet here we are now in 2023, where the both economies are in flux and politics <laughs> is still weird. <laughs> and, weird. you know, we we had uh, issues with Russia in yeah. with the Cold War. And now there's the war in Ukraine. You know, do you think when you when you hear the songs that you wrote 40 years ago and then write the songs that you write now? 
it's almost as if like you've been stuck in a bubble where where the world things have changed yeah. but the 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 main ideas haven't you know yeah, those things it, haven't. the same the principles that defined us as a band in the 80s is still there you know it's about bringing people together it's about inspiring people to find their own path in life to make their own decisions in life you know to take control of them their destiny if they can and and, that, and that's you know and and also when people come to an alarm show we want it to be a, a political free zone in a way we, we want to inspire people to get involved in politics but we want them to go home happy and have a great time at the concert and feel better about themselves and when they did when they walked in and up, give them an uplift and and that's that's really what we're all about you know uh, uh, it's funny you know some of our songs like the stand from 1983 you know, they they become like modern alarm records today yeah. you know, because they they featured in you know that song particularly featured in Thirteen Reasons Why in the Netflix global oh, yeah, hit and it was a, a a critical moment in the storyline and next minute you know everyone goes Shazam you know and next minute there's three million new followers of the alarm the next day you know and and uh, and loads of them. Have, you know, they, they saw it as a brand new song and they've stuck around with us and they come to the shows and we've got a younger audience as a result of it and they like what they hear. And uh, and so, you know, you, the, you're in this day and age, you know, with the way music is streamed and, and the way people view content on TV and the phones and the screens, uh, uh, your old songs become like new songs if they're given the right chance to 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 speak again. And that's that's a beautiful thing. And we we foster that and we embrace it and you know it makes us feel good to be alive and makes us feel young <laughs> i love it i love it now what i want is the what stranger things did for kate bush uh oh yeah long. I mean, it, it's so but it's funny that you mentioned all of that because we saw the cramps had a song in wednesday you had a song as you said in 13 reasons why love and rockets have a song in uh yellow jackets so so many bands that and uh, uh cocaine bear featured depeche mode uh which <laughs> it's, it, it's awesome. so it's funny now that like the songs that i grew up with are now I, i'll meet teenagers and i'll meet uh people in their early 20s and they'll be like oh check out this new track and it's like yeah that song's all, just as old as i am <laughs> i know it's incredible my, my my kids are the same you know they play fifa sports games and all that and they hear the music and they go hey dad what's this you know it's, it's the cult you know and they, don't, <laughs> wow, they think it's a brand new single you know and they and they they're inspired by it to pick up the guitar and write riffs and so i think it's it's good it's good that uh you know people aren't dismissive of the old stuff and, and i think with that without it being so much mtv led as it was in the 80s where it was visual right. and you could see the band now you're just hearing the music in the background and you take it for what it is you don't think oh they're old or they're they've got they dressed like they're from the 80s you just hear it as you know when people heard kate bush running up that hill they didn't know what it was they didn't think oh it's, it's from the 80s they just thought it's a what a great piece of music and and then there's no there's no um agenda to it is there there's no preconception people just get on and think wow a great song turn it up play it loud love it love it you know you speaking of tunes you've been busy recording as we talked about you've been busy writing and playing but the amount of joy that you brought to your country when you recorded the Wales official anthem for Euro 2020, yeah. it featured football fans uh, recorded in football grounds across Wales. How did you come, how did that come about? And what was that like putting that together for your nation? Oh, it was, it was a real honor. It was incredible. I, I got the call one day from a friend of mine who works for the FAW, the Football Association of Wales. He said, look, we're going to we're looking for a song for the for the Euros of 2022. Would you be interested in submitting a song? And I said, yeah. And I said, well, yeah, well, you, you, what about recording it? I said, well, I'm going to see Wales tonight. There was a Wales women's game playing in Wrexham. A Wrexham. Oh, wow. And I, I, I just said, I've got the song already. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, I've just written it already. Before. I knew what you were calling about. I phoned you. By the time you phoned me back, I've got this idea. I'm coming to the game tonight. And I and I went in the boardroom with all the directors of the FAW and I stood there and played him, the Red Wall of Cymru. And, and I said, look, this is what I want to do. Take the song with all, all the fans around the country, get their voices on it, get their kids on it, get their families on it, get their teams on it. And then that way we can support the national team because it was it was the lockdown era and, and it was it was tough for people to get out to to the to the games because a lot of them were playing 
behind closed doors or it was they're in impossible places to get to for for a lot for you know when we when we'd qualified for the the previous euros in 2016 we, you know it was we made it our own wales we got to the semi final it was you know it was take please don't take me home became the big song and i wanted to kind of capture that vibe with the song i thought it can only come from the fans and 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 that's what we did and it was uh you know, to play it in the stadium with everybody singing along. It was it was um, magical times, you know, and great that great that we were able to do it. Oh, it's so beautiful. And it's such a lovely, lovely song. It, I, I have no connection to Wales. I am not Welsh by any stretch, but I the chills that I get just listening to it. It's like, I want to go and pick up your flag and be like, yeah, come on, let's go, let's go. You know, <laughs> yeah, which... Well. You know, well, we we're talk- the nation, we're the nation of song, you know. Well, that's what we know. <laughs> the land of song—that's one of our catchphrases. And you know, male voice choirs and and the and the, the I in the Welsh language where we have competitions in singing, to which our young people get involved in, and and it's uh, it's a big part of who we are. And, and um, you know, I always have been the opinion the Welsh national anthem is incredible. It's so <laughs> stirring. And I always I said at the time and it's to me that's the greatest pop song that's never been released, you know. And so so I sort of stole a little bit of the melody from the national anthem to to put into the song. And I think that's why it felt really familiar to people from the moment they heard it. And uh, and it's a song, you know, that people sing on the terraces and they, you know, when I go outside now, and it used to be 68 guns, you know, people would shout at me now, it's the Red Wall of Gumbry, you know, that's what they sing everywhere. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, uh, it's amazing. We were talking about in the pre-interview um, about Wrexham and Wrexham's become yeah. the biggest story. They're like one of the biggest teams that everyone talks about in America, thanks to the, the fantastic show and the amazing people. Uh, I had Sean Winter on last season, who's a fan of the team and is featured in the FX series and really just dove home about like what that team means to that community and what the race course means to the the, the town and the village. But it's put, it's put an eye on Wales, which yeah. has always sort of lived in the shadow of the rest of the countries of the UK. And now people, as you said, people are starting to come around to like, oh, Wales is, could be like a destination. We should go check oh, out yeah. check out this lovely country. What is that like for you to see now the international attention of the place that you've been saying for so long, like, come here, come see us, come visit? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's it. It's, it's great that it's getting the recognition. I mean, for us in, in Wales, it's a bit like, oh, no, the best secret we, we, we're we part of is out. <laughs> and everyone's starting to come here. I mean, you know, we, we've had an event called The Gathering Around the Alarm for 30 years, and it, and it was always to bring people into Wales. We we would role reverse the rock and roll thing, and the fans would go on tour and we'd stay at home. You know, they did all the travelling and we put these amazing shows on. And lots of fans would go and see Real FC, Pistatin Town, they'd go and see Carnarvon or they'd go and see Wrexham while they were here. And uh, and it it was it's been been a great part of our culture having the the football teams that we have in Wales. And, uh, and it's great to see Wrexham flourishing under the new ownership and uh, and and getting their name out there across America. You know, we when I first got to America in 1983, you know, the the nearest people would say when I'd say I come from Wales, they always. Oh, isn't that where Tom Jones comes from? You know, and isn't that isn't that in England? You know, I say no, it's not in England. <laughs> it's next door. You know, it's our own. We've got our own language and everything. You know, and and uh, we just we were just um, you know, in it wasn't until 1989, uh, 1990, uh, 1999, really, that we got uh, some sort of independence from the United Kingdom. But at the time, we we didn't have the devolution and the devolved. Uh, presence that Ireland or Scotland had, you know, they they had their iconic whiskies and the Irish bars and all that. And Wales, we ours was we we suffer from a thing called hirite, which means we don't want to leave. You know, the they always say the Irish are the Welsh that could swim. You know, when the Romans came, the Irish got at least could swim, so they escaped it all and swam to Ireland. We we were the got left behind. You know. And uh, and that's that's another way of describing the Welsh people. We we don't like to leave. We want to stay here. And but uh, now you know, I think the country's getting a lot of recognition, and people realising you know we've got the oldest language in 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 the world here, and the oldest culture, and there's all the castles, and it's a magnificent place to live. You've got great beaches. We've got great music. We've got great football teams, and 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 you know the. the the, the, the cat's out of the bag, you know, here we go. Well, what could you ask for at that point? You know, it's, <laughs> it's, 
you know, now that we're on the topic of football and and Wales, of course, your fa- how did your fandom for Manchester United come about? Because you were such such a Welshman, I'm expecting you to yeah. say like, up oh, Swansea, or you know, yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've always been a you know, we my family we're, we're all big Wrexham as well. You know, my brother-in-law, yeah. my wife Jules are Wrexham supporters, and they have been all their lives. And my brother's gone to I've been to millions of games with him to watch sad old Wrexham in, you know, trophy finals, in relegation battles, in playoffs to stay up. I was on the terraces when Mickey Thomas scored and they knocked Arsenal out of the FA Cup, you know. Been at all those massive games for Wrexham. But, you know, you know, you thought that was as far as I've got. I've played on the pitch in loads oh, of wow. testimonial games for legends like Mickey Thomas and Joey Jones and all those players. And, uh, you know, it's been... It's, you know, I even got my brother-in-law in the in the game once by saying he was in the alarm. <laughs> he was a fanatical Wrexham fan, and I managed to. I was playing in a Joey Jones testimonial, and uh, and I said, "Oh, can I bring another of the band members?" Yeah, his name's Andy. I thought they don't know who's in the band. You know, <laughs> can you be the drummer as far as they're concerned? So I got him on the pitch, you know, and he he, he hit, he scored and hit the crossbar. And he he's got some great books out that he writes about Wrexham, and you know, he's a big part of the Wrexham community, and he he's done a lot of legal advice for Wrexham as a football club. So he's he's right at the heart of it. And but my my grandfather was was a big Manchester United fan, and he he's he got me into the football, and I was succumbed to the the legends of George Best and Dennis Law and Bobby Charlton, the Holy Trinity. I went to my first game in 1968. You know, I'm I'm a season ticket holder. I have been all my life, pretty wow. much. You know, go to go to the games all the time, and uh, I played at Old Trafford once. I, and Mickey, yeah, Mickey Thomas was he's, he's uh, you know Welsh legend, but and big Wrexham legend. But he played for Man United in in the seventies, in the late seventies, early eighties, and uh, he got me into a game on on Old Trafford pitch uh, one day, and uh, I managed to get a goal, and uh, it was it was amazing. You know, playing with a few of the legends and. Yeah, Ivan. Uh, the last game I went to was was uh, Man United against Sevilla in the UEFA uh, Cup in the oh, Euro- yeah. Europa, Cup, Europa League, and uh, I watched the game with Brian Robson and Gary Pallister of the United treble winning team and all that sort of stuff. You know, so it was uh, it was amazing to watch a game with with a couple of the the keen eye of the super professionals and a legend like Brian Robson. Yeah. My jaw is on the ground hearing all these stories, which is it's 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 so much fun listening to people that I admire, like yourself. Uh, I had Love and Rockets on. They're going to be on later right. in the season. I've had uh, Rowetta and I've had Gary Whalen from Happy Mondays on. I've had Peter Hook from Mench- uh, from Joy Division and New Order on. And they're all United fans. All of you are United yeah. fans. And all of you, when you tell your stories with such vivid detail, and mm-hmm. I'm such big fans of you, I love watching you all freak out and <laughs> talk yeah. about the things that you're fans of. Yeah, absolutely, so, yeah. What has, you know, knowing that there's a big musical congregation around United, is it, you know, is it also a beautiful thing to see that it is a great equalizer for everybody that this club is important for, you know, famous musicians and the working class, but it's also important for just, you know, it's a global brand and entity around this point, you know, in the world. Yeah, it's huge. Look, when, whenever you go away and, you, you know, I, in, in, in the um, in the 80s, I, I wore my Man United shirt on our second album, Strength, yeah. on the inner sleeve. I have the right. And I got a bit of a backlash from that, from the music press, because they were like, you know what, these, these like hooligan, you know, terrorist loving sort of sing along kind of bands, you know, that they, they went, it, it wasn't until Oasis came along really, that they they music and football became like that but but for me when i got into it in the 70s and you know i could see, hear these mod bands and slade you know i'd see bands on the strepford end with slade patches on and, and you hear them because i love you by slade coming over the tannoys and the fans would be clapping along to the music and he, what's this you know i didn't know what it was and then then you got into it and then you realized that oh, it was this thing called rock and roll and music and and then you found other people that liked it. And if they liked Man United as well, it was a bonus, you know. Yes. And you sort of, a, you know, but I grew it's funny. I think 
music it doesn't always attract the fans of the same team into the bands uh, you know we're in the alarm our bass player was into leeds united you know i'm big friends with billy duffy of the cult and he's a man city fan you know and we, we have lots of bands about united and city and uh but when you do meet fans of the same band you know like like terry hall from the specials was he sadly passed away but yeah, he was a united fan you know, and, and Remy from the Stone Roses and Primal Scream, massive United fans, see him at the games sometimes. And uh, it's it's great to have that connection because everyone, most people in bands want to watch football, you know, but not everyone does, but most of them do. And that that, that gives us a, you know, nice little edge. It's great to be backstage at a gig sometimes when there's a big match going on and everyone's huddled around the TV and you think, time to go on stage, lads. It's like, oh no. Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I remember once at the... Um, when United won the treble, uh, uh, I was actually on my way to the semi-final and uh, to see United, and, um, and and I got a phone call on the way to the game from a big uh, producer at the BBC uh, saying, "Mike, we, look, this is top secret, but we want you to sing your big song, A New South Wales, at the opening of the Welsh Assembly in front of the Queen. It's when Wales is going to get its own, you know, devolved government and it's a big deal and I, and I said what's the date you know and he said da, 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 da. and I went oh no that's when the cup that's when the European Cup final's on <laughs> and I thought do I, if I say I can't do it because I'm I'm good I could be there at Barcelona when United play Bayern Munich I thought, I'll jinx it and we'll, we'll lose the semi-final and that'll be it so, so I said of course I'll play your gig I went to the semi-final we you know we got through in dramatic circumstances but I couldn't go to the game at the new camp. I was devastated, you know. And then so I thought, okay, it's on TV. I'll watch it in the dressing room. So when I got to the gig in Cardiff Bay, it was a massive deal, but it was it was on BBC and they weren't showing the game. It was only it was on the other channel, ITV. And they wouldn't have ITV on the dressing rooms because it was a BBC event. So I was just about to go on and play in front of the Queen, and I got I managed to get into the security guard's hut at the entrance of the backstage area, and he had a like tiny TV watching the game. And I saw Teddy Sheringham score the equaliser, and I was so sad. I even had my earphones in to listen to the radio, and someone said, "You've got to go on stage now." And I was walking back to the dressing room compound, and I heard Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer put the ball in the back of the German's net, and I was going wild. And Tom Jones and Shirley Bassey went, "What's going on here, boy?" You know, said United have just won the European Cup. You know, and every, and I had got wet on stage and sang a New South Wales in front of the Queen, and it was all good in the world. You know. <laughs> did that enhance the performance? Like, did that make oh, it? Totally, yeah, yeah. Sure. I was, I was gonna say before I started. Hey, everybody! United have won the the Champions League and the treble, and 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 just as Charlotte Church finished her song, she was just on before me. She went, "Hey, I've just heard United have won." I was, I was like, "That was my moment. You stole it off me." <laughs> Brilliant! Yeah, That's know. amazing. What's it? So. We are speaking, by the time this episode airs, King Charles will officially be coronated, but um, we are speaking during the weekend of King Charles's coronation, and he is the Prince of Wales, as you have performed for his mother. What's that like for you now to see, again, like Wales represented now on the throne, but also is there seeing that you know, his mother played a role in, in moments in your career. Do you hope to do the same for him? Uh, I, well, look, I, I've um, met, met, well, I'm Prince Charles <laughs> a number of occasions. Um, you know, I, I, I'm uh, an MBE recipient for, from a work with our cancer charity, Love, Hope, Strength. So I was um, honoured with an MBE from the then Prince Charles in, in Buckingham Palace. And, uh, and then I, I was invited to his summer house to um, uh, a concert that he uh, hosts with the Welsh uh, Academy of Music. It's like a, a sort of private affair in his summer house. And, that, and then I was invited to sing at it the following year, but then the pandemic arrived. Yeah. But um, I did get to sing at the, um, the the 75th anniversary of the National Health Service in, in Wales. And, and I was you know, massive support of the NHS because it's literally kept me and my family alive. I owe them so much, and and I went down to sing in at the the cathedral in Cardiff, and um and and when I got to the the show, there was a big red chair sat right in the front. I said, oh, who who's that chair for? You know, old ornate chair. And they said, oh, it's for for Chaz. And I went, Chaz, yeah, Charlie. You know, and I was thinking, who, who's that? I had no, I 
I must have been thick, you know. So I didn't, the penny didn't drop. The Charlie. Anyway, I'm just about to go on and sing. I realize it's Prince Charles, and he he comes and sits in the chair right there. And I have to sing Walk Forever by My Side uh, uh, for the, the the National Health Service. And he sat as far away as you are now across this Zoom. I am looking him in the eye and thinking, this is weird. I'm singing to Prince Charles. My wife is behind him in the seat behind him filming me singing looking at prince charles and she puts the video out on youtube everywhere and when we met prince charles it's somehow she, she said oh we we filmed you uh, watching mike singing walk for her by my side and it went viral you know and, and he, ooh, he thought it was great and, oh i'd gone viral and i ooh, you know he, there's something quite, quite positive too <laughs> he's quiet a, a normal sort of uh, hu human guy, really, and and then and then after the concert was over, uh, his um, his secretary came out, invited us to go meet him in the in the vestry of the, the cathedral, and uh, when I, when I went to talk to him, his his um, the phone rang on his secretary, and the phone secretary's ringtone was sixty eight guns by the alarm. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, it was cool. So you know, it, I, you know, I know people are opposed to it, and people are ambivalent about you know Liverpool FC uh, have had to, they're going to have the national anthem played at their game mm -hmm. tomorrow. That, that's going to cause quite a lot of controversy because their fans have booed the anthem at Wembley Cup finals before now. So. You know, I think my, I'm of the opinion about things like that. If you've got nothing positive to say, don't say anything, you know, just, you know, do what you got to do and, and we can all get along together and, and respect each other. And, uh, you know, it's a big part of British history. And, uh, you know, we're not going to change it tomorrow, but it might change it in, in another lifetime. And, and who knows? But uh, we live with what we have to live with right now. And we, we move with what we were given. It's... You know, your power of positivity and outlook is it's so infectious. It really it truly is. It truly is, Mike. And you know, in, in just everything, in just every facet of it. I could also hear you just talk about everything in your career. Um, um this could be a nine hour long podcast. We could, we could talk all night about my football adventures for sure. <laughs> but, so let's dive into a couple more now. So this season, uh Eric Ten Hang has completely changed the way United look and play. Uh, it's been a roller coaster season for you fans. Um, and hopefully there might be a top five finish by the time this episode airs. Uh, the season will be done and dusted. But, you know, what's this season been like for you? And I know you're a super positive guy. Yeah. But there have been moments where oh, it's not so I, was at, I was at some of them when we got oh, boy. at home by Liverpool last season. And, you know, yeah, and and when it, I was at the Brighton game at the start of the season, our first home game when Ten Hag came in and we got beaten by them and we got hammered by Brentford the, the, as well. And, you know, I, I had enough faith in them. I'd watched all the, the um, pre-season games down in Australia and you could tell that he, he, he had much more of an instinct how Man United want to play and he was organised and structured and down to earth. And, uh, you know, I thought he handled Ronaldo particularly well. You know, I know Ronaldo did the big interview with with Piers Morgan, and he dished it all out against United. But I think um, Ten Hag gave him enough rope. He knew what was going on. You know, he made him captain on his last ever game. They never discussed that in the interview. So I think that was Ten Hag's management of it was almost to say like, "Well, I know you're going to give it out to us." He knew it was happening, so he just made him captain, almost just to you know take the sting out of it a little bit and. Uh, show him who was the bigger person. So I think he's handled a lot. You know, he's had to work through a season of really challenging moments, you know, that could have taken a lot of people down. You know, when you're dealing with these massive superstar, multi-billionaire type players, right. there's not many people can handle them anymore, I don't think. And, you know, you only have to look at what Frank Lompard's had to go through at Chelsea right, right. now. And it's very difficult to motivate those players who don't want to be motivated, who are more interested in the cars than what position they're going to be playing in a, in a formation on the field. And so I think Ten Hag's done a great job for Man United. You know, he's got, um, you know, got a lot of faith in him and hopefully he can uh, build on what he's achieved this season, get some good players in the summer, strengthen the squad. It's obvious Man United need a striker up front. Right. You know, we haven't really got anyone that can terrorise the defence 
you know, other than Rashford, really. We can terrorise them out on the wide part, but there isn't someone who can really occupy a whole front line. Like someone like Harry Kane does it. You know, even Callum Wilson at Newcastle, he he occupies a defence, which gives him opportunities to score because they can't take their eye off him because of constant movement. And we don't have that up front with Anthony Martial. Is He can do it in bursts, but not for 90 minutes. He's not a natural natural out and out goal scorer we just need to find one of them but so does every other team in the cosmos right <laughs> I, well i think chelsea has bought every striker and yet they don't strike yeah. so it, it's kind of a yeah, they might buy paul mullen from Wrexham. he scored a lot of goals isn't he? Paul you know? mullen, baby. <laughs> uh, it's for you to see because you brought up an interesting point that like a lot of players now are more focused on the vanity yeah, And you grew up watching players of an era where they were focused on the game. The vanity came later. George Best obviously blurred that line because, yeah. you know, he's well, there's always some, yeah. But when you see the players of today, does it make you yearn for yesteryear more? Or are you or do you say to yourself, like, well, the game is just so much different that this is just what it is this era? And maybe it's better. Maybe the team that was great for United in the 70s and the 60s, maybe compared to these guys, wouldn't do as well considering that the game has changed. Like, what's that like for you? Well, I, I preferred football in the 70s and the 80s myself because it was more blood and guts. Right. And, and, you could, you know, there was some... I like. I loved players like Roy Keane and Brian Robson and, you know, George Best. They, they, they were, you know, Ronaldo even. They weren't afraid of a tackle, you know, and they could get up and go again. But... Now I think players, um, it's a, a little bit, it's not as much a contact sport anymore. It's a very ta ta technical game. I'm not a fan of the playing it out of the back, mm. you know, playing it in the six-yard box. It, I'd rather challenge for the ball further up the field, you know, or bring that as a tactic later in the game when people are tired and you stretch the game. But, you know, to be knocking it around in the six-yard box in the first five minutes is inviting trouble, as we found out in Severe. When we got right. in, when we it cost us straight away. We should have been kicking the ball out of defence and fighting for it with our number nines and on our midfield guys, you know. But and I'm not a fan of that the the, the modern technical game. But I think um, so. I'm I find it I find it more more. It's more of an exciting game on TV now, and it's in the pundits and analysing the tactics. When you when you're in the stadium, like I am a lot, mm -hmm. and I sit quite I I sit near the dugout. And it's quite wow. low down, but you can't really appreciate the technical nuances at that level because you're not seeing the overview. You're, you're seeing pitch at this site, you know, and, and you're watching players running past you and and, and you, you get involved in the, the thrill of the game and the outcome with the fans and the excitement of the moment being live. But, but, but as a spectacle on TV, I, I think it's more interesting at half time and at full time <laughs> and the analysis that goes on when you get to see the little things that, that that only the professionals see, you know, I've been lucky enough to watch some games with professional players that I met through my career, and uh, and and when you when you when they they pick out little things on the pitch, you you never see as a, an ordinary fan, but those things are being highlighted by TV now, and they make the mob the dullness of the modern game more interesting. I think. Interesting. I like that take. I really do. Now. You've been a United season ticket holder for many years, as you said, and this is a team that you've loved your whole life, and your granddad loved. Do you still get goosebumps walking into Old Trafford? Like, oh, take yeah. me into what that game day is like for you. I've never oh. been there, so explain. Give, give, <laughs> me, give me the... Uh, anytime you want to come, I'm your man. I'll get you in. So oh, no. Mike, I'm on the next fucking plane. <laughs> we'll sort you out. We we get we get there's a few of us that go from the village here in Dizeth and we all get in the car together and we, we're all lifelong. Yeah, I've got my kids, my kids come with me. Um and there's the best thing is father and sons go into the game. And then, you know, we we always have this thing when we go, it, it's all and it never we never tire of it. Who's the first to see the stadium? And we drive up to that stadium time after time after time after time and we all forget about the game but it never ends and then someone goes look there's a stadium we'll go whoa you know and it's like it could be ever my youngest or my oldest or tony who's driving us and somebody makes us real there's the stadium we all get excited and the buzz starts 
And then we we, everyone, we all go up the United Road and we go to Lou Macari's chip shop and get some chips. <laughs> and then we, you know, we we walk it down the Munich Tunnel into the stadium and all the singing's going on. And there's that buzz of the fanzine sellers and the programmes and, and the scarves and the different badges and the, the, the ways people have their memorabilia on display. You know, you can see some people from the 60s got a white jacket on with thousands of badges of all the heroes they've and the, the eras they've lived through and, and different stitchings in the scarf. I love picking out all that detail and seeing who, are they a 70s fan or they come from the 60s, you know? And then when you walk into the stadium and then you go up the steps, you see the turf, and the greenery of the pitch, it's all, it's such a buzz. And you walk down to your seat, it's uh, and then the whistle goes and we're into the action and the, the music comes on, the players run out. It's it's brilliant. You know, when I first went in 1968, my first was game was against West Ham United. Wow. Granddad took me and I made him take, I got in the ground at 12 o'clock and the kickoff was at three o'clock. And my granddad was going, what do you want to go in so early for? I said, it's old Trafford, Randolph. I've never been here before. You know, and we went in and I sat there for three hours and watched the grass grow. And at two minutes to three, out come the players through the central tunnel, as it was then, I put the ball down, kicked off and off they went. And, that, and, and that's it. They played the game. Now there's so much before the game. You can get in early and the players are training on the pitch. They're warming up. There's pundits on the pitch. You know, they're not, and they're not in the sky anymore or in a studio. They're actually still on the pitch now. And you, you, you can see the heroes of yesteryear year discussing the game. And, and it's, it's a great involvement. You know, I've, in my seats, I've been going so long. I've got my name on the seats. Yeah, uh, my, my, my wife, Jules, because we've been going so long. And, and it's, you know, we know all the people who sit around us and we, we have a chat with them. And it's a brilliant atmosphere. And, I'd love to take you there one day. And it's good. it's the same at all the other grounds. You know, I've got friends who follow Chelsea and friends who follow Liverpool and Everton and, and Arsenal. And, and, and we're all football fans at the end of the day. And I like the banter that we can have between us. Yeah. Friendly banter and we can rib each other and push each other about how bad or good our teams are. And we, and we know it, it's cyclic. No one's good forever in football. It come, What goes around comes around. Right, that's a great point. <laughs> Uh, you've you've brought me on the verge of tears many times in this interview, and that invitation right there, I I 100 am going to take you up on You're it. Gonna have it. Oh man, I'm, I'm so grateful, man. <laughs> it's uh, what's it like for you to have gone with your granddad and now take your sons? And uh, do do you are you a grandfather? No, I'm not. I'm just a father. Yeah. yeah. Just, so what's it like for you to take your kids still? Well, it's a, it's immense, and it? you know, look, I was obsessed with making them Man United fans from the, from the <laughs> born. So I've taken them both when they were infants, babes in arms. They both, you know, Dylan, my youngest, was was breastfed about five foot away from Alex Ferguson while 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 she was at the game and I had to breastfeed him. And then, and then when I took my my other son Evan, I had him in a coat like this, you know, and there. And, yeah. and, and one, I got to the gate, you know, and the guy was like, he can't come in, he hasn't got a ticket. I said, he's a baby, you know. It's, he goes, no, you're not allowed. So all I did was went out one, straight into the next one, like one foot away. And they go, bring him in. That's the main part of the religion, you know. Yes. Yeah, and, and he was freaking out when the when the fans were cheering and everything. And then see them growing up and be, becoming fans now and they're obsessed with going to away games and they, they hang on every nuance like I've done. And, when I took my oldest son Dylan to his first game, um, it was quite funny because I know Alan, who's the uh, the announcer at Old Trafford, he, he makes all the public announcements, and he said he came up to me and uh, you know you know we know each other, and he said, "Look, Mike, um, I've got it's I need someone to come on the pitch and do the half time draw," and he goes, "Frank Stapleton, who used to play with us in the seventies." He he he's he's raining. He's scared about getting his hair wet. <laughs> so will you do the halftime draw? And I thought, yeah, you know. So it comes to halftime, and then they call me down. I took my son with him onto the pitch, and his first ever game as a when he was quite conscious of what was going on, he got to stand on the pitch at Old Trafford, and I thought, this is it. I've done everything that a father could possibly want to do. Now I've got my son. He's still on the pitch. We're playing Everton. It was brilliant. We won. What more could you ask for? Oh, so yeah, it's, it's brilliant going with with the, the kids to the games. Amazing. I love it. I love. Oh, that is that is a beautiful, beautiful experience and story, Mike. This has been 
I'm so happy that this is the season six premiere because it's going to set the precedent and tempo for the rest of the season. Hey. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from ModCup.com. ModCup. Drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. But we're not done yet. We're in the home stretch. These are my favorite questions to ask now. These are the rapid fire section that the audience loves, I love to do, and I always like seeing and hearing what everyone has to say. So these pertain to your club. So if you could bring back one retired player, former United player to your club that's alive or dead, who would it be and why? Right now, I bring back Brian Robson because he could he dominated the midfield and he was an inspirational player when we didn't have that great a team. He played into a great era and played into the Cantona era and the Gary Pallister era and the Steve Bruce era and the Mark Hughes but, and the Roy Keane. But Robson was my my hero growing up and, and I loved the way he'd get, he'd be the last man in the box when the corners were coming, he'd time his run to perfection. Bang! He get in there with a header. He'd always come up with a with a winning goal. You know, he and he. I think Captain Marvel, as we used to call him on the yes. terraces. We we. I'd love to have him back. I think he'd be a great player in the heart of the Man United team, alongside Casemiro and and uh, and Bruno Fernandez. Oh, I love it. I'm also incredibly jealous that you were able to pull off the Casemiro uh oh. heist, if you will what a phenomenal sign yeah well to be honest i thought he was uh he was going to be one of those players that man united started you know we started buying these older players it, we started doing it under alex ferguson by buying players like lauren blanc and uh people like that that he he admired as players he, he would want to bring them into the club you know and then it started with bastian schweinsteiger great players but past the sell-by date and I was just concerned that we'd done it again with Ronaldo and we'd done it with a few other players under the Solskjaer era. And and I thought, oh no, we've done it again with Casemiro, but he proved me completely wrong and he's he's absolutely a wonder player. And, uh, you know, we, we've benefited from his presence in our team massively this season. Yeah, for sure. So now we're going to pretend ultimate fantasy football. If okay. United could sign one active player today, money is not an option. Who would it be and why? The, the active player that I'd sign right now, oof, I'd probably have to go for probably, uh, I'd probably go for Harry Kane right now because that's the player we need most. Or Aussie men, you know, at Napoli, yeah. someone like that. But but Harry Kane, I, I'm not a massive fan of Harry Kane in, in, in the sense that I think he's, uh, I think... I'm I'm scared that if we sign him in the summer, which is the talk, mm-hmm. that if we do sign Harry Kane, that he he is a Tottenham player, and when you bring him outside of that, I'm not sure he he would be the same because I don't think he's quite the same for England as he is for Tottenham. Right. But uh, I, I I was there when we signed Gary Bertels from Nottingham Forest, and and he went for like 35 games without scoring, and he could score for fun at Nottingham Forest. So I'm scared of that happening, but. That's the kind of play we need right now. So I think that, and there's not, like we said earlier, there's not many of those kind of players around. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'd go for him. And uh, I mean, I'd like to sign Holland, but, you know, we've got no chance <laughs> against him, have we? Well, never say never. Never, never say, say never. never. No. <laughs> if the sale goes through and some <laughs> big money comes available, you never know, do you? You never know. And finally, what has been your favorite moment as a fan of this game? Oof. So, so many, so many, uh, I, I, I th- you know, sim- simple things. Cause I've been so many games. I, I was talk- we talk about this on our way to the matches. We, c- we, there's not that many we remember cause we go so much that we, we, <laughs> it, it's, we remember all the details about the, and it's, it's not so much that that we live for. It's, it's the experience of going to the ground, being a fan of the club, and and of course you want those big matches, but you know I have to say when when we when we beat Man City at home this season, I was with my son Evan there, and that was a mega moment because you know we'd been battered by them last season, and and we've been battered by them again this season, and to to actually beat them at home this season was was a pretty special moment. But but I, as a Man United fan, 
I've got so many of those moments. I, I can't remember them all. You know, there's, I've been, I've, there's, there's lots of games where we've beaten City or beaten Liverpool, you know, remember Norman Whiteside knocking Liverpool out of the FA Cup when I was at Anfield as an away supporter. That was amazing. You know, seeing Eric Cantona, probably the, one of the best memories I have was, was going with my father-in-law, Peter, and we watched Man United against Coventry City when Eric Cantona turned it on and came of age in the Man United shirt. And there was two games back-to-back, Coventry and Tottenham Hotspur, and he ran the show and and he made and you could see all the young players like Lee Sharp and Ryan Giggs around you thinking, hang on, we're playing with a superstar here. They lifted the whole <laughs> the whole stadium arose. And uh, and Cantona himself, he, he he when he was asked what his favorite goal was, he goes, It was not a goal, it was a pass. You know, and and, and he chipped it, it was a reverse chip over his shoulder into the pass of Dennis Irwin, and he smashed it in the back of the net. And I was at that game. Wow. And uh, you know, and, and you know, just right now, you know, I was I, I was at the game when when George Best chipped Pat Jennings, the goalkeeper for Tottenham what? Hotspur, when when the they they cordoned off uh, the behind the goal, the Stretford end was fenced off, and I used to sit in the um it, it, by the corner flag in the Stretford end. They used to stand there, and I can see the ball, George Best lobbing it. I can see it coming it, right in my direction and lobbing into the net. You know, I was at that game and. There's sort of standout goals you remember, and uh, yeah, there's so many of them. I've been blessed to see some be at some incredible occasions. That's amazing. Before I let you go, because I'm lying to you, and that was not my last question. That was the last of the rapid fire. But what's funny to me, and maybe it's a thing from watching the game from afar here in American shores and watching the British game from here. And Premier League all these years, my you know, for most of my life. Eric Cantona, every United fan I speak to, musician, not musician, famous, not famous, he lives in a special piece of every United fan's heart. And every United fan I've had on this podcast always manages to find a way to bring him up. Yeah. And in America, it was sort of like the famous kick on the fan happened, and he was sort yeah. of written off over here a bit, and David Beckham became the face of United, and then Wayne Rooney, and obviously social media happened, and yeah. Cantona is talked about in the folklore of United fans from the area, and everybody that I've spoken to, as I said, always brings him up. How special of a player was he to not just the history of the club, but to the fans? Yeah, and what he, was that about him? He had a sort of arrogance, you know. He, you know, he <laughs> came in and he kind of cranes his neck and he looked around and he, he owned the place. And he played like he to me, he he embodied me on the pitch. If I wanted to be a player on that pitch, I'd play like Cantona. He he would go after everything, you know. I I think that, that he he never um, he never got the chance to play on the highest of stages, you know. He no, never played in the Champions League final. Um, you know, some of my friends who say, "Oh, he he was uh, the man for the the medium occasion," you know, and uh, but I think he was such a rebel footballer that he he sort of captured the hearts of all of us in in the stands, um, and uh, he was you know very true to his principles, and he had that George Best thing about him. He was ahead of his time, mm-hmm. probably. Uh, it, maybe if he played now, he might have been nurtured a little bit more. Uh, you know, whereas Eric uh, Cantona was given free reign by Ferguson, you know, he'd let him wear what he wanted. He'd let him do what he wanted. Right. He would d- deliver on the pitch. You know, um, I'm sure if you go on YouTube and watch out for Lee Sharp's description of the dressing room after the Kung Fu kick in the Crystal Palace dressing room after with the what Fergie said to Cantona, it's, pretty, it's amazing. I won't spoil it. Go and find it, everybody. And on that note, Mike Peters, thank you so, so much. This has been one of my favorite, favorite times uh, doing Sal's this podcast. Great. And Sal, I've got a question for you. Who's, yeah. your team? Who's your team? So my team is AC Milan in oh, Italy. Yeah, the mighty Excellent. Milan. Well, I've seen them play at Old Trafford a few times. Oh, my. Okay. Okay. This interview is not over, ladies and gentlemen. We're, uh, <laughs> I, so played it, I, played, I played at the San Siro. What? Okay. Yeah, yeah. That interview is definitely. Not over. Hang on, we're going to third <laughs> that wasn't planned. <clears throat> yeah, I was. Uh, we we went to Italy, and, and uh, the Alarm's popular band in Italy. Yeah, and uh, the, there's um, 
we got invited to play with an artist called Ligabue. Yes, yes. Massive Italian artist. And uh, and he, uh, what had happened was I was playing um, shows at, uh, in, um, in Italy and, uh, uh, and I was playing, and, and then my promoter said, you get this guy on stage, you know, and I said, who, who is it? He goes, he doesn't speak English, but get him on stage. <laughs> so I got him on stage and I, I said, this Ligaboo, you know, and we, and we, and the place went mad. And I thought, who is he? You know, so, uh, and we played Knocking on Heaven's Door by Bob Dylan. So I thought he'd know how to do that. And then, and then after we we got we finished, and and he couldn't really speak much English, but he said, "Oh, you you must come and play with me one day," you know. And I was thinking, "Yeah, yeah, great, mate. You know, no problem. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll bring you some alarm records next time I see you." You know. Anyway, a week later, I didn't realize, but this guy was a superstar of Italy, and the phone yeah. goes, he invites me to play two nights with him at the San Siro Stadium, <laughs> and I was like, "What? That's who the guy was? Oh my goodness!" You know. So we get there and we had a big soccer match on the on the pitch before before the gig started and all that kind of thing and it was brilliant to play in you know and I we got to sit in the AC Milan dressing room that was our dressing he was a bit more of an Inter fan I think or no Reggio Emilia he was uh, more um, Cagliari or something I don't know I can't remember who the team was but he he had the Inter dressing room we had the AC dressing room oh my god that <laughs> is awesome. That yeah. is incredible. Yeah, I played he, in an AC Milan shirt. Yes, my man, my man. Because here's the thing. When I come to Manchester, I'm going to gift you one. I have to gift wow. you one. That's well, I've got, I've got a vintage AC Milan shirt, so I took that out there to play. Oh, my goodness gracious. That is, that's fucking amazing. Um, yeah, he is a huge, huge, I mean, oh, I guess massive. he is. I'm trying to think of like what would be the British or American equivalent. It's almost he's like. Bruce, he's like the Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen. That's a great, yeah, yes. You know, to me, we we actually played in the Stadio Olimpico, Olimpico with him a week later as well. We did two in the San Siro and one in the Stadio Olimpico. We played football there as well. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was great. That oh was always the thing when you got to go to these stadiums. We played at Wembley Stadium with Queen and we had, and we played soccer on the pitch before then. So I played at Wembley as well. Oh, my God. Wait. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> so now... You became a musician to obviously get the artistic things out of you, exercise these demons that were inside. Of course, sex, drugs, and rock and roll are going to uh, play a massive, massive role. But it's also been a passport for you to do things that oh, you probably never like. What, what, like to for it to go hand in hand to live your football dream through your music and yeah. to live your music dream through your football. Like it's all this. It's you've created mike the oh, it's perfect amazing. life yeah. oh look i went my uh, uh, when the alarm happened uh, uh when we started we were playing in america in 83 84 and then i had the first chance to go on holiday i didn't even know how to book a holiday yet so i had to phone my mum and say mum you know uh you used to take us on holiday book me a holiday so i got home and said oh, i booked you where i took you as a kid san antonio in ibiza and i thought that's okay sounds good so get there I, I happened to be land in the epicenter of where all the then first division footballers went for their holidays. And I ended up in a bar with probably every first division soccer player you could imagine. And there was one guy at the bar I was a big fan of. He played for Arsenal. His name was Charlie Nicholas. Yeah. And I was thinking like, oh my God, there's Charlie Nicholas. And he was at the bar thinking, oh my God, there's Mike Peters of the alarm. And we got talking and he would say, Mike, when I go to play for Arsenal, I play Declaration by the Alarm. It gets me fired up and we became friends. And I, he started taking me to the games with him and I'd sit and watch the game. And Jerome Anderson, who was the, the DJ, would say, oh, Mike from the Alarm's in. He's a big Arsenal fan. He'd play 68 Guns. And I'd go, no, I'm a United fan, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then, then I started getting invited to play games at going training grounds. And, you know, I got I got to play for BBC Manchester against uh, um, in a tournament on, on Main Road at Man City's ground. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it was a, it was a, and we won. We got to we got into the fight. It was the biggest lesson I'd ever had in football. We played in the final at halftime against old Man City. And these are all first division championship winners like Tony Book, Mike Summerby, Glyn Pardo. And, but they were all like 60 or something, you know, and I thought, I'm, you know, 25, I can, we can smash this lot, you know, we're young, we're fit, we just won the tournament, you know, this is our prize play, these old guys, well, I've never had such an education, you walk on the pitch, and they kind of do you with their eyes, they don't have to run, 
They just know they shepherd you like a sheepdog. They put you where they want. They take the ball off you. And next minute, they're giving you the biggest football lesson of the life. You know, I stood next to Mike Summerby, who's the city's equivalent of George Best. And then I'm, trying, I'm thinking, I can outrun this guy. No problem. And he says, a good crowd in tonight, Mike, isn't it? And I went, by the time I'd looked back, he was over there and he's got the ball. <laughs> Done me with his eyes, you know, and it was incredible. So I've been lucky enough to have incredible experiences, met some amazing um, footballers who have been fans of the alarm, who, you know, who've grown up with a band, you know, Stuart Pierce, who, who was played for England, Pan, you know, Psycho was at our last gig in Bristol. And, uh, you know, amazing. You know, they, I, I'm still confounded that they come and see the alarm now and, you know, get involved in the music and 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 then they invite me to go to games and watch with them. It's an incredible thing. Oh, Mike, you know, it's, they say, don't meet the people that you admire, but you, <laughs> sir, have clearly oh. thumbed the nose at that phrase because not <laughs> only have I been a fan of your music for so long, you make extraordinary so. music, you've got an extraordinary life and you're an extraordinary human being. Oh. Thank you so Thank you. much. I can... Straight up can fucking talk to you for the next 10 hours. <laughs> well, um, you got to come to a game. We'll take you to the game. We'll talk all the way there. Sounds but, good, mate. Thank you so morning. much, my friend. See you soon, Sal. Thanks See for the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> come on, United. Yeah. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.